Okay, Rabbi preparing for Hanukkah. Unbelievable, tomorrow night. Oh, so I was thinking, what do we want to talk about leading up to Hanukkah? And I realized, you know, of course, our hearts and our minds are with our, with our brothers in Eretz Yisrael who are going through, going through such difficult times. And Baruch Hashem, we've seen incredible stories of miracles happening there. Uh, you know, hidden miracles, but miracles nonetheless. Uh, and every person that says, says these stories, it always comes with like, you're not going to believe this. You know, it's, it's like, a, it's an unbelievable thing. And... <clears throat> I remember Rav Moshe uh, Someone came over to him and told him, told him like this incredible Ashgacha story, and how it all worked out. And Rav Moshe looked at him and he said, "You're telling me that that there's a God who runs the world? <laughs> like, why are you so shocked? Why are you so surprised that this is that this is what happened?" Um, so, I, so I realized that it's Mamash Inyan Yom. It's literally what Hanukkah is about. So we're going to try to talk about the hidden miracles. So, when we're talking about uh, finding the hidden miracles in, in our lives, it's extremely important because we see in Hanukkah that was the beginning of the whole story. The beginning of Hanukkah is what? There was a fundamental shift, a fundamental change in, in the world leading up to the story of Hanukkah, which was the Rabbeinu Nisim tells us that it was specifically with the arrival of Alexander Macedon to Eretz Yisrael, he had conquered uh, Persia, Eretz Yisrael had been under the, the dominion of the Persian king, so now it felt Alexander. With the arrival of Alexander into Eretz Yisrael, Nebuah stopped. That's going to be very important because as long as there is Navua, as long as there's a person people can go to and hear the Dvar Hashem in an undeniable way, where Navi tells you, you know, the, there's going to be a drought. You know, starting a week from now, there's going to be a drought, or, or the other way around, the drought will end in, in, in three days. This is it's something that uh, the Greeks, who we're going to see, came to challenge the Kedusha, the Kedusha of Klausel, the Kedusha of, of, uh, of the Torah, etc., uh, could, could not have possibly done that as long as there was Nebuah. The Persians were also of the Avodah Zorah, weren't they? 100%. All the Avodah Zorah have no conflict at all with the miraculous. In fact, that's what they're that's what they're banking on. The entire the entire investment that an over the Voda makes, over the Vodazara makes in purchasing a nice fat ox and slaughtering it and maybe even a child or two, right? Uh, is with the express intent that the Avodah should do something supernatural for him. The Greeks, it's, it, it, this is a very important thing to understand. People misunderstand the Greeks. 
It is true that the Greeks had their pantheon of gods. That was it was an old, outdated thing that they would do, they would pay lip service to. But fundamentally, the Greeks were philosophers. Alexander himself was a student of none other than Aristotle. So, this is, you can't be a student of Aristotle and believe in, in, in that stuff. Right? So, the, the philosophers basically said, listen, the masses, they need to do their little thing. We're not going to be too loud about it because we know what happened to Aristotle's Rebbe's Rebbe, right? Socrates, right? He was a little bit too vocal about all this nonsense with the idol worship. So they basically told him, you either kill yourself today or we'll kill you tomorrow. So he poisoned himself and died, right? So, so it was this basically don't ask, don't tell policy with the Greeks with idol worship is, you know, the... The philosophers look the other way. The people will do their thing, but the, but the the real Greece was science, technology, in the, you know innovation, the light. They, they they were bringing light in, of intellect to the world. That's uh, no koach elion that is involved with this world or that ever changes the nature of this world. Um, so now that the prophecy had stopped, that created a tremendous uh, opportunity for Greece. So much so that the Gon explains uh, very, very uh, difficult to understand the Gemara. Appears in many different places in Gemaras and in, in Midrashim. Slight differences, but the basic story is the same. When Alexander was coming victorious from his battle against the Persians. He's coming back to, uh, he's coming to take control over Eretz Israel. He's taking control of over all their territories. He's coming to take control over Eretz Israel. And the expectation was that there was going to be terrible repercussions for the Jewish people because um, before Alexander engaged in battle with the Persians, so he sent letters to all the subsidiaries saying basically you know, rebel against the Persians, help me in this, in this war, and I'll reward you when I win. If you don't, then the inverse will be true. Right? So the Jews actually chose to support the Persians, stay loyal to the Persians, and uh, the expectation was that there was going to be really bad consequences. Uh, and the the Sona Yisrael, the uh, the they were they were whispering to Alexander that, that he should that he should you know make the Jews pay for this very heavily. So um, <clears throat> when he arrives outside of Yerushalayim, so and this is going to be crucial to our story to understanding our story later on. So Shimon Atzadik. Was not only the coin Gadol, but he was also Mishierik Nesses He was the last remaining member of the Anshik Nesses He had been the youngest and he lived the longest, so he, he was the last one. Uh, came out to greet him, and Alexander dismounted from his stallion and kneeled before Shimon Tzadik. This is uh, in all the Midrashim and all the Gemaras. Pretty much the same story. And when he was asked why did he do this, he said, "Because when I was, whenever I was in battle, and I was having difficulty, uh, the it was this, there was the vision of this man that led me to victory. I saw him in a vision. I never knew who it was. Now I see that this is him. He led me to my victory. Very cryptic story. So the Golan explains. The Golan explains that the story is like this." The Anshik Nesakdola davened after the Khurmbais Rishon, which we know was because of the Gimel Khumrius, uh, Avodazora, Gilarashvi Husdamim, and Avodazora was a terrible machla at the time. So much so the Gemara tells there was such a temptation we can't even fathom it. Uh, the King Menashe came to one of the Maroim in a dream and he told him that if you would have been alive in my days, you would have run after Avodah Zarah 
much faster and much more than, than, than I did. So the... Uh, So the Anshin Nesagdola said, what's the point for us to rebuild the base of Megiddish? We're going to build the second base of Megiddish. And Kazar is going to fall to the same trap. It was, it was so irresistible, the power of Avodah Zarah. So, uh, so they davened to Hashem to remove the Yitzhahara for Avodah Zarah from the world. And we know that Hashem created the world. Zelu Salukim. Everything is in balance. Whatever the powers of bad is the power of good. Whatever is the power of good is the power of bad. So... The reason why there was such a great temptation for Avodah Zarah is because spirituality was very palpable in the world. It was, it was accessible. Not everyone is uh, righteous enough and uh, pure enough and careful enough to make sure to use it only in the proper way. And uh, so those that were great and used it in the proper way, they became Nivim. The and those that didn't, were drawn after after the spiritual powers in the world to try to manipulate them for their own needs. So the ending of this Yitzhahara meant very much so a creation of a barrier between us and spirituality, which saved us from that Yitzhahara, which we don't know what it is anymore. We don't, we don't really have such a Yitzhahara anymore. We have other things replaced it, but... Uh, we don't have that directly. But also with that, prophecy left as well. Yeah. And uh, so, that's, so that's, the, that's why Alexander said that whenever he was battling against the Persians, I mean, he was the one that brought a new world order. The reason why a new world order came so easily, I mean, the, the, the historians say that with 30,000 men, he defeated Darius II, I, I forget which one it is, who had 150,000 men. That's a one to five odds. Oh, yeah, Alexander was such a brilliant strategist, everything. No, says the Gon, the entire Persian Empire was built on Avodazara was built on interacting with the spiritual world, getting you know, whatever power they would give them, the, the motivation, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, they woke up, and their whole world was built on a foundation that was missing, that was gone. So it was literally an empire which crumbled. It's like, a, you know, you, if you have the slogan, you know, uh, whatever would be the slogan for... You know, that would, that would have motivated the Americans back during World War II to say it to this generation nowadays, and it's like, um, freedom, liberty, justice, like, uh, do those words even mean anything, right? So, so, the, so the Persian Empire collapsed in front of him. So that's what Shimon Tzadik was saying, that's what Alexander said, that Shimon Tzadik... The Shemit Tzaddik led the way for Alexander's victory because he had been from the members of the Anshik and who removed the Yitzhahara for these things. And therefore, he basically handed the victory to Alexander. Why is that into the fire? Oh, with, with Greece. Yeah, they had Nebula, they, they could have foreseen No, that. they understood No, they understood that with the loss of the Yitzhah Harfar of Adozara, there would also be a loss of Nebula. But guess what? It was worth it. Look, look back in the first temple. We had Nevi'im. And the Nevi'im were time and time and time and time again admonishing the Klausel. And, 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 and it was not to, and it was not to, to avail. Led ultimately the introduction of Hellenism. Oh, that, that, okay. That's already uh, a grum of a grum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But why did Israel decide to go with the Persians? They couldn't, couldn't they, didn't the Antichrist understand that once they 
Why didn't they understand the sequence that you just laid out that once they just read the Zara that prisons were in trouble? Hindsight, in other words, the fact that it was going to play out that quickly, the fact that it was going to play out then, right? I mean, at the, it, take, it might take a large empire like Persia, it might take them a hundred years to crumble. It's like, uh, you know, is there anyone in this room that has doubts that America is crumbling? If you do, I have a very expensive therapist that I can recommend to you, right? Like, the United States of America is, the, the moral fabric of this country is coming apart. But then again, it's been coming apart for at least 30 or 40 years. I mean, if you read the, the, the closing of the American mind, which was written like 40 years ago, right? He was literally predicting all those things, like clearly back then. And yet, it's still staying. It, it could take the Titanic uh, days to sink. Right, so who knows if Persia, you know, so they were, they were under the Persians. The Persians had been very good to us. They let us rebuild the base of Migdish. They were giving us partial autonomy. There weren't Nevi'im anymore. We, we didn't have Nevi'im anymore. The Nevi'im were in Niftar much earlier. The, from the Ashkenazi Gdola, there were common Nevi'im, but they were they were all they were all uh, Niftar pretty much with the construction of the base of Baishen. This is this is Shimon uh, who was the youngest member back then. He was now an old man, so this was uh, he was the last member of the Ashkenazi Gdola. There were no others. And they were Chachamim, but uh, anyway, so Chachamim, uh, they did the best of the decisions making they could, but Lamaisa, Hashem protected us, so Baruch Hashem, everything worked out okay in that regard. Um, so the point is, again, that Greece represents the introduction of Klausel to a whole new world order where there is no Nevoah. Alexander's entry is the end of Nevoah. Additionally, miracles had stopped. The Gemara, the, the Gemara in Yuma asks, why is the Purim story, uh, the Megillus the Esther, called the Ayala Sashachar? Because, uh, so it says, because it was Sof Kolanisim. It was the end of the miracles. The, the last miracles to happen was in the Purim story, which was prior to the building of Baishani. Prior to the to the removal of the Yitzhar Farvalazar. The Gemara asks, but isn't there the miracle of Hanukkah? So the answer is that the the Purim story that's Nidna Likasev Kamrinan. We're talking about a miracle which is able to be written down. And that's what I want to discuss today. What is the difference between the miracle of Purim story, which was neatly kasev, which is able to be written down, and the miracle of Hanukkah story, which we're going to be commemorating or tapping into tomorrow night, which is not neatly kasev. Uh, but, but the miracles... You just answered your own question, didn't you? It's apocrypha. You know what apocrypha it's means? Still read for history. I mean, That's right. History is a nice thing. There's lots of uh, we have some books in the bathroom. The Barish has a really good bathroom library. In the case, but but Nitin Likasev means Likasev with with uh, with Ruach Hakodesh. Meaning a like Megillah Esther, right? That's the whole that's the whole discussion in the Gemara to prove that the Megillah. I don't have anyone. Yeah. So, so again, so Aaron is asking a good question, right? That neatly kasev does not mean that it's something that a person could take a pen and 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 put it on paper and write it down. We're talking about through nevuah, the prophecy uh, can grab on and review, put it down as a reality. We're going to talk about it a lot more in the, in the next week. 
Um, I'll just say this: Nevua is always given with a kizeh, a kol, either a kol, kol marashem, or a zeh. Because Moshe Rabbeinu was able to say zeh, and the other Nidim would say would say kol marashem. But either way, it means here in these words, this is the prophecy. This is this is what happened. It's literally. Like in a body, like that, those words comprise that miracle, which which we don't have that with Hanukkah, and that's going to be very important in understanding the what kind of a miracle Hanukkah is. Okay, so that's what the Gemara Yuma says. Just want to make a, uh, how long was it between the time that Chachamim David that the that the uh, Yetzirah for Avodah Zarah should be destroyed and the time of Andromachadon? Alexander. Alexander. Well, Shimon Tzadik was already a member of Anshikness Agdola when they daffened, and he was an old man when Alexander arrived. He lived a long life. So let's say it was a hundred years, something like that. Um, which, like we said, right, it, it takes time for, for things to happen. It was, it, was, it was pretty long. Um, okay, so um, so we so we have in that time we have Klausel for the first time ever since Maimon Har Sinai, since Moshe Rabbeinu took us out of Mitzrayim, for the first time ever we have Klausel without Nevi'im and without Nisim. And that situation of being without miracles and without prophecy is a tremendous um, opening for someone to come in and, and attack and claim that what we have is not Kaddish, is not out of this world, it's not divinely given. Until that point, that we had nevuah, that we had miracles, it, there, there was nothing to talk about. You could come try to kill us, you could maybe enslave us, knowing that that was happening because our God was angry with us, like Nebuchadnezzar did, right? We, Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged the, the, the God of the world. Um, but now, for the first time, there's going to be an opportunity for someone to come and be kaifer. And to say that this is not, there is nothing miraculous here, there is nothing prophetic here. That's number one, that's point number one, the opportunity of the time. Point number two, so their attack. So the attack that the Greeks launched, if we look at what it is that they targeted, okay, first and foremost is the Torah. The Greeks were the first ones to mandate this was not like a nice thing. This was a mandate under threat of, of, uh, of the king to translate the Torah into Greek. Now, it's an important distinction. We do not mean here that they were... Um, offering something similar to what Targum Unculus did of translating the Torah into Aramaic. The, the translation of Torah into Aramaic is a pirush, it's a commentary. He'll often insert many words that are not there, and, and he's, he's not pretending to be, to be giving you the Torah in Aramaic. He's telling you in Aramaic what the Torah is saying. He's telling you how to understand the Torah in Aramaic. It's a pirush. That's perfectly fine. Rashi did it, also wrote a pirush. Many, many wrote pirush. And Targum is incredible, Pirush. The Yivonim wanted a literal translation into Yivoni. In other words, the Torah will be in Yivoni, in Greek. It's a time not for now. We will discuss it, Bez Hashem. Perhaps we've got uh, the three days of darkness coming up from the Ches through the 10th of Teves, 8th through the 10th of Teves. And one of, the, one of those uh, days is the uniquely designated as the day that the Torah was translated 
into Greek. But the point is that it was a way to turn the Torah into another wisdom. We have a huge library. The Greeks were notorious for their libraries. The library in Alexandria, which don't get things confused, Alexandria, although it is, uh, um, although it is, it's in Egypt, but that was that was uh, also Greek, right? Uh, so the Greeks were famous for their libraries because they they treasure, they valued wisdom, and the Torah is a wisdom. Fine, good. Let the Torah be a wisdom like any other. That's first of all. Second of all when they saw that the Jewish people were not going to be taking the Torah as a, another book of wisdom like all the books that they have, they came, like the Ramam says, Mufurush, in Per Gimel of Hilchas Hanukkah, they came and they decreed against the learning of Torah. They forbade learning of Torah, they decreed against the learning of Torah. So there, there, was, there was a uh, targeted attack against the Torah, and that is, the morale explains in uh, Ner Mitzvah, that's because they they despised the claim that the Torah is above human intellect. So they, so they attacked the Torah. And Rav Tzadok points out that if we were to zoom in more, they specifically attacked the Torah Shebaalpeh, the Oral Torah. Of course, the Oral Torah is the more vulnerable one to be attacked. Why? Because the Oral Torah admittedly, admittedly is our contribution to the, to the equation. In other words, Hashem gave us the Torah Shebuksav, He gave us the rules, you know, the, the Yud Gimel, the Yud Gimel Midosh Ator Nedreshes Bahem, the principles of exegesis, and now we are the ones sitting and we're the ones analyzing and we're the ones contributing to the Torah which can easily be viewed as a uh, um, polemics, as uh, legal uh, you know, uh, discussions, uh, as uh, human intellect. And that's, and that's the claim of the Greeks. They are the representatives of human intellect. So they want to show that what you guys are doing, the Torah Shabbat that you're involved with, is nothing but the same stuff we do in law school. In fact, the, the, I mean, our law school, you know, here in America, is, is based on uh, on uh, case law, right? Case law, common 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 law, case law, okay, whatever it is. But the point is uh, that uh, it's very much. Uh, uh, similar to the Torah Shabbat. What else did they attack? They attacked the temple. They desecrated the, the Kedusha of the temple. Within the temple though, if we zoom in, we look carefully, what, which part, which vessel in the temple were they targeting specifically? The menorah. Right? The, they, they went in and what did they do? They made sure to contaminate all the oils, which by the way is not such a simple thing to do. You have to be, you have to be a lambda to, to contaminate all the oils because it's in a little jar and you can't get your finger in there. So this, uh, you, have, you have to know how to do it uh, to, to, to contaminate the oils. But they, but they made sure to take care of that. They contaminated all the oils. The, uh, what is this targeted attack on on the, on the menorah, specifically. So the truth is that the Gemorian Shabbos brings up a Hava Amina, and it comes to negate what, in Parabu Mehmed Likim, not surprisingly. What is the job of the menorah inside the, uh, inside the Kodesh? Perhaps it's to provide light so that the Kohanim can serve in the, in, in, in the, in the Kodesh, in, in, in the, in the, inside the temple. So the, so the Gemara rejects that and says, no, absolutely not. If Hashem provided the Jewish people with the Amud, with the Amuda Eish, for 40 years Hashem provided light for us in the, in the desert, you think he needs us to? You think he needs us to turn on the lights inside the temple? Hashem can take care of the lights all by himself. 
right? That the menorah is 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 a, is a divine service. We'll talk about that more exactly what it is. But the point is, that's exactly what the Greeks wanted to say. They want to say that the menorah. Oh look! Oh, you guys also have a candelabra. That's we have these even better. It's it's LED, really good lights. You want to install some of those, and you don't need this menorah thing, right? What you need menorah for when you have when you have LEDs. Yeah. That was that's 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 one. In other words, taking uh, a vessel of kedusha and saying that it doesn't have kedusha in it. It's just a way to make light, and it parallels the chokhmah, because the menorah represents what? What? Torshavapeh, right? The Arna Kodesh has in it the luchos, the tablets. That's the Torshavaksav. That Hashem wrote that and gave it to us. Not only the tablets, but in fact, either inside the Arna Kodesh or right next to the Arna Kodesh was the Sefer Torah as well that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote. That's the Torah Shev But the menorah represents the Torah Shev uh, In other words, the menorah illuminates the Torah Shev Without the Torah Shev so the Torah Shev you're in the darkness. Yeah, you, 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 don't know, you don't know what's flying, you don't know what's going on. So you need the Torah Shev to to illuminate for you the the Torah Shebeksav. Similarly, the menorah is lit by man. It's lit by the coin. So, there's, there's, this is the human contribution to the Torah. There's, there's the Torah, and then we have to come, we have to light the menorah to illuminate the Torah Shebeksav. And that, they're going to say, wait, that's profane. That's not Kaddish. That, that's just a, a functional thing. You just need some light. Right? That Torah Shabal that you guys are doing, that's just uh, human intellect thinking. That's, that's, that's not a divine thing. And finally, they desecrated the Jewish people. They made a decree that every... Um, young lady that would like to get married has to first go and spend the night with the with the hegemon with the governor of the region and uh, and not first of all on a simple level profaning the sanctity of marriage but more so what they're coming to say is don't think that in that, in that action that you're doing it, there's anything holy in there it's the same physical action that, that, that the Goyim do, that the Nachrias do, that, that, which is a begin of Orla, is a begin of, of, of the profane, of, uh, that's, you know, that's why uh, they're not Makhbid, like the Rashi says in, uh, in Parshish Kaisara, that's why the Nachrias are not Makhbid to wait for marriage uh, before, uh, before engaging in, in uh, such physical activities, because uh, it's just a physical thing. And, and you, that you think that there's something holy in this activity, you think you're bringing down a holy neshama into, into a physical group over here? There's no, there's no such thing. It's not, it's not holy. It's profane. Those were the, those were the, those were the, the attack is always against, and, and here's the, here's the Tzadah Shavah name, the thing that unites all of them. I told you that they were attacking the Torah. I told you they were attacking the menorah. Torah specifically, we said it was the Torah Shabal Peh. The menorah, again, represents the Torah Shabal Peh. And both of those are what? Both of those are ways to receive, to take in the Torah Shabal The written Torah is what it is. It's rigid. It, it, but it has to be, it has to have a home made for it here. And that's done through our learning of the Torah. That's the Torah Shabbat Peh, is we bring it into ourselves. We process it through our mind and comes into us. There's the Torah out there. When it comes into a human mind, into a Jewish, into a cycle of an Adam, then it fertilizes something. It, 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 create, it, it brings life into this physical world. And that is a concept 
of the sanctity of a Jewish woman is the ability to be such a recipient. In other words, language that Rav Tzadik and, other, and others use is that the Torah Shea is from the side of the Nukva, of the, of the, 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 feminine, the feminine side. Torah Shea is the masculine side and Torah Shea is the feminine side. That's how we take in, that's how we receive the Torah. And that's why they were out to desecrate the Torah Shea and that's why they were out to desecrate the menorah and that's why they were out to desecrate the Jewish women. To say, yes, we believe in a God up there. We, all, we believe, Aristotle believed in, in, in one God. But none of us have any interaction with him. That was their belief. We are not recipients of anything divine. We're not able to take, bring anything down. We're down here, we're, we're just physical. We are not recipients to the Kiddush of Hashem. Like they said, made a decree. Kisvul Hashem al Write for yourselves on the horn of an axe. You don't. You have no portion in the God. You have no portion in God. You're not uniquely married. There was no chuppah at Har Sinai. You're not married to Hashem. You're not recipients of any kedusha. You just, you just people, like we are, living down here, using your seichel to understand whatever you understand. And by the way, in case anyone needs proof to this, in case anyone needs proof to this, the Kadmonim point out, that the event, the, the events that happened to Yaakov Avinu, all correspond to the Arba Goliaths. The different tragedies that happened in Yaakov Avinu's life, the different hardships. And the hardship of the kidnapping and the violation of Dina corresponds to what the Greeks did to us. And of course, subsequently, the canals of Shimon and Levi and what they did to Shechem corresponds to the Hashmanoim. The Greeks were Nazis. When you're, when you're fighting Islam or Christianity, they believe in the, something, they believe they have the Amish. So they're fighting you because you, no, you don't have the Amish, we have the Amish. They believed there was a God, but there was no interaction. So what were they worried about? Were they, why, were they, why were they scared of us? It had to have been like the Nazis. We gave them a conscience. You're, you're obligated to do this. No, we, we don't want mm -hmm. that. You're obligated okay. to, we don't want that. I hear, I hear, the, way that, the way that the morale says it is that they hated the concept that there should be anything beyond their intellect to be able to understand. But it, that's a much longer discussion, but I hear, I hear your point. We, we can, you don't believe it, though. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, yeah. Okay, so uh, that is part two. So we said what the opportunity, why was it such, for the first time in history, there was even such a, such a possibility is because of lo loss of Nebua and loss of miracles, which again means well, the Jewish people are actually not receiving from Hashem the way we used to. We are actually not able to get impregnated with a divine spirit the way that the Nevi'im would to, to have that type of a close connection uh, that, that the Derech Hashem describes when, when the Prophet has Nevuah. And um, you know, the, the ability to bring spirituality out into the world in such a powerful way as a miracle. So therefore, the Greeks attacked in such ways. And this, now we come to the next part, which is really what the counter-argument is and how to defeat the Greeks. And of course, this is what we've been talking about, how to discover the miraculous inside the mundane. How to find miracles in a time when there are no miracles. Right? The, 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 the Hanukkah miracle was a miracle, but it was not a miracle that could be written down by another. Right? So the, that is that's the next part. So let's, so let's discuss our victory. What was our victory? So first of all, who brought about the victory? Okay, sure, Hashem. Who were the emissaries down here? 
The Kohanim. Very good. What? Matisyahu. Was, was was one of them, right? So the Kohanim, they were, they, they were, they were, they were the Kohanim. Now, before, I want to go there, I want to take one step earlier than that, is that the Midrashim say that the Kohanim themselves were uh, kick-started into this by a woman, maybe her name was Yehudas, maybe not, but whatever it may be, there was a, in, it was in the scar of Nashim Tzidkanyis. It was in the merit of the righteous women. Kalashah were saved. Not coincidentally, because we're talking about the concept of, of a woman. They, they were out to profane the Kedusha of the woman as she is out herself, but also all of Kalashah in our feminine relationship to Hashem. And so it was the woman, the women, different Midrash, clearly it was in the scar of Nashim Tzidkanyis. One midrash that the Ran brings is the one about uh, that she was summoned to on her wedding night to go to the to the general and she got him drunk and with cheese and with wine and cut off his head and that's what started the the, the rebellion. Uh, another is uh, another story is even a bit more uh, also disturbing, very disturbing. Uh, but but whatever it was that. The, that, that's what got the men uh, going. So it was in the scar Nashim Tzidkanyis. First of all, now back to Michael's point. The Kohanim. The Kohanim, what's the job of the Kohanim? To build a house for Hashem down here in this world. It should be a nice house. It should be smell pleasant. A nice fragrances being burnt there. Right? It should have uh, meat that's cooking. They wear beautiful clothing. The, the Kohanim, so to speak, play out the role of the wife to Hashem, right? Uh, in in creating a, a a bias, a holy house. So just like on a large level for the whole nation, we make a holy house for Hashem. So in a in a uh, obviously in an individual level, each home has has a woman who is a bechina of a, of a kohen, of a kohen, of a, uh, bring the kedusha into the house, bring, uh, express, letting it dwell, dwell there, the shechina dwells in the, in the merit of the women. Um, so the kohanim represented the same concept. So it's the women and the kohanim, both, the, the same thing. Now, what's the symbol of the victory when we look at the, at the symbol of Hanukkah, of course, is the the menorah, right? The the menorah and and the menorah burns exactly for eight days. Eight is a statement of transcendency above the natural. Natural world is represented with the number seven. Seven is uh, seven days of the week. The we live in a three-dimensional world. Three dimensions mean six directions. And then there's this, the point itself, the place itself, where you're not moving anywhere. That's seven, six directions, and, and uh, four directions, front, back, right, left, up, down, that's six. And then the, the place itself is seven. That's why there's seven days in the week. So this world is built with the number seven. Eight means transcendence, out of this world. The brismila is done on the eighth day, etc. The we, we mentioned before, the menorah, is exactly the place where we say that the Pasuk says that the menorah should be lit lifnei parochas haedus right the the what's it called the the partition curtain of testimony so the Gemara the Gemara in Shabbos asks what's the, why, why is it called the partition of testimony because it says it testifies that Hashem is with the Jewish people. How so? Because of the Ner Maravi. What, the, the candles would all get the same amount of oil all the time. The, the menorah would get the same amount of oil in every candle. And that was designed to burn just for, just for, uh, just for the night. But the Ner Maravi would burn 
24 hours, all the way up until the next reloading. And that was to show that the burning, uh, 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 you don't need candles during the day, and you don't need it to continue burning. So that was to indicate that the, the, the burning of the candles was not a technical thing that the, you, you need some light, but it was to indicate that this is a service to Hashem, Hashem wants, and that He's with us, He's present with us. That, that ongoing miracle with the menorah now played out in the entire story, again saying that Hashem is dwelling with us, that our lighting of the menorah is not a profane lighting, it's, it's, it's a transcendent lighting. To say that our Torah Shebaal Peh, that we do, when we learn the Torah Shebaal Peh, it's not simply uh, thinking with a, with a, you know, analyzing, uh, having a good, having a good head, like, no, unbelievable. Uh, it was, it's famous, everyone knows, but, I, but I, nonetheless, I was stubborn, so uh, someone wanted to, uh, really wanted to take me to Rav Chaim Kanievsky, to meet Rav Chaim Kanievsky. So I said, okay, bye. Person wouldn't say take no for an answer, so so okay, opportunity to see uh, one of the Godel door. So I thought, okay, what, what am I going to ask of him, Can you ask him? So I thought, yeah, I'll ask him if it's true what they say that when he was a bacher, he was not he was not considered smart. That's that's, that's what they say. And I, so 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 we, we had a private entry, a private meeting. It was like not, you know, so we were in the room. Uh, with his guy and waiting for him to come in to, to speak to him. So he said, no, what are we going to talk about? So I said, well, the question I want to ask him is if it's true. So the guy started laughing. He said, a hundred percent. He says, he says this like every day someone asks him this question. He always, and he says, he starts laughing. He says, it's so true that when he was in yeshiva, nobody wanted to learn with him. By Chavusa. He was like known to be, to be the, to be the, 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 the dumb guy. And says, Afterwards, those same guys, 50 years later, were coming to ask him Shilas. So it's a... It's, it's, Hashem gives it. It's a... Yigato Matsasa. You toil and you found. Hashem gives it. It's, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a human intellect that analyzes it. I mean, it has to go through the human intellect. But, but, it, but it's B'Kedush. So that, that is the... That's the... Um, symbol of the menorah the, the menorah is not just a technical way that we need light inside it I need to think about the Gemorrah in order to understand what, it, what it's saying or about the Psuk in order to understand what it's saying no it's by me thinking about it there's an interaction happening there's a there's a there's a zivug there's a connection between the divine and us and and that is also a Bechina of Ruach HaKodesh it's not neat in the cussive. You can't prove it's Ruach HaKodesh. You don't know it's Ruach HaKodesh. The, the Ramchal in the Derech Hashem says that true Ruach HaKodesh is when a person has Ruach HaKodesh, he knows with absolute certainty that he's right and that he received this message from above. But, we, he says, we use the expression Ruach HaKodesh in a borrowed sense for for a Tabel Chacham who is learning and all of a sudden he gets illumination and uh, he, he understands something but not that he's just received it from the divine he doesn't know that but he ends up being right he, he has this clarity and he ends up being right and you know talking about Rav Chaim Kanievsky <laughs> that's the stories about his Ruch HaKodesh what we call Ruch HaKodesh are endless yeah, so that's the concept of even though we lost Navua and we lost miracles that were neat and cussive, they were explicit miracles, they were explicit Navua, but it still stayed on a level of the hidden miracles. The hidden little miracles that we're talking about the 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 you know the, the uh, eye opening insight that someone is given from above because he toiled in Torah. That is a bechina of Ruach HaKodesh. Uh, for example, uh, you know, the, the Arizal, right? I mean, 
you can't you can't pick up an Ari without realizing there's Rocha Kodesh, right? And and the Mephoshim talk about that. The Ramchal had visitations from from uh, Eliyahu Novi. He had revelations from Eliyahu Novi and all, and all these things. And the Vilna Gaon. And, uh, so so it's still here. It's just lonit and likasev. It's not something you can say Komar Hashem. It's not something that you can say. This is the word of God. Uh, the miracles are hidden miracles. They're miracles within Teva. The miracles that we're hearing about from the from the soldiers in, in, in this war right now, daily, where they're literally writing, we're seeing the miracles, keep diving, keep learning for us, it's uh, your Baba is saving our lives, with your Lima Torah, with your Tfilus. The, that's, uh, and finally, it explains one of the biggest caches there is on the Sugiya. We know that Tuma is Hutra Bitsibor. They, they could have used Tomei oil. They could have used Tomei oil for the, for the menorah. Because that's all they had for all of Klausel. But they didn't want to. They insisted it should be pure oil. Why? Because it's very poignant. If the entire war is about Tumen Tahara, is about are we just do, lighting the menorah in order to produce some light? Or are we lighting the menorah because it brings Kedusha into this world? So how can we go and we light Tamay oil? That, they were metame the shmanim. That was the cancer that they were coming to do. The, they were coming to contaminate our minds, our souls. And now the whole victory is to show that it remains tahor, that it remains pure. So, so, that, so, it, was, so it was impossible, it was impossible to use shaman tamay. That's the... Uh, that's the miracles that we can see every day in our lives, in our tefillos, where our tefillos are answered, in our Vuprat, where we serve Hashem with mysterious nefesh, like on Hanukkah. We see that we see the miraculous, we see the Ruha Kodesh, we see the miraculous inside the mundane. It's Hashem. We should all be zochet to see that in our lives. Any questions? Any questions?